right, thank you ladies very much. Appreciate, appreciate that. That uh, gets us in a Thanksgiving mood, doesn't it? Yeah, so very good. Our young people can be dismissed to Children's Church. Everybody else turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Different peoples have different uh, modes of thought in regards to Thanksgiving music and Christmas music and all that kind of stuff. Our, our sound man, Mr. Benjamin, thinks that it's okay to play Christmas music in July. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, no, no, I, I, I've got to tell you, no Christmas songs till after Thanksgiving because uh, it disrespects uh, Thanksgiving. Um, and even then, I, 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 I would like to start a, um, I would like to start a policy of differentiating between Christmas songs and winter songs. Uh, some of the songs can be sung all winter long if you want, because they have nothing to do with Christmas, but we only sing them at Christmas time. So, yeah, think about it. Um, and, um, now, in contrast, my, uh, my son, my youngest son, his wife's birthday is November 1st. They put up their Christmas tree on November 1st. They take down their Christmas tree on February 1st. Uh, they, they sing Christmas songs. They, every 25th of the month, uh, my son buys each of his little girls a little gift to remind them that there's nine months to Christmas, eight months to Christmas, that... and. And I told the oldest one, she's now 13, I, I said, Macy, you, you know your father is insane. <laughs> and she says, Papa, what's better than Christmas? And so, you know, we're going to learn that um, people don't always listen to what their teachers tell them. <laughs> and... Um, and um, so my my son has gone off on a you know a Christmas spree, and uh, but they they absolutely love love Christmas, but appreciate the Thanksgiving song this morning. Acts chapter five. Um, we've been <clears throat> studying the book of Acts, and the um, there's been much success, and um, much success has taken place. Many many people. We've got three thousand that have been baptized. And then we've got another 5,000 men that made professions of faith. And then it says multitudes of men, women, and children are making decisions. Uh, Jerusalem is filled <laughs> with the Holy Spirit of God and miracles and signs and wonders. Uh, and and uh, there's quite a response. But again, the negative side of things is the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees that run the temple are not pleased with what is going on or what has taken place. Jesus has promised another comforter. He says, one like unto myself will come, and, the, and that comforter of the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, about 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. The windstorm filled the house, and the apostles began to speak in languages unknown to them, uh, but, it was, and it, but it was a sign that the Holy Spirit had arrived, and God used this same sign to prove to the Jews that Samaritans and Gentiles could be saved. Peter, by his own words, would say, after observing this, what happened to the Samaritans, what's happened to the Gentiles, it's the same Holy Spirit. It was as on us at the beginning. And so the 
idea that Samaritans and Gentiles can become believers uh, is pressed into the minds and hearts of these Jewish people. Peter preached and he said it's God's deliberate plan for his son to be sacrificed, but it was your wicked hands that slayed him, but it was impossible for death to hold him. The people respond, they gladly received the word, 3,000 were baptized, and they were constantly in a situation where they were learning and being taught by the apostles' doctrine. And again, it's important to see too that it wasn't just uh, you know, one healing service after another and one miracle, you know, uh, they're just coming for the miracles. These people came to hear the teaching, the doctrine of the apostles, the, and, and so they were teaching in the temple as well. Um, the people of Jerusalem basically are being offered a second chance, and many and many are responding, including the lame man, lame man who had been there at, the, at this gate in the temple gate for 40 years. Uh, Peter and John said, do you remember us? And, and he responds and he puts his faith in Jesus' name and he's walking, leaping and praising God. And, and, and crowds come and Peter says, why do you marvel at this? Why, and, and, and as, if, as if maybe we have done this. We haven't done this. Jesus of Nazareth is alive. He's the one who did this. And, and you've seen this before. The temple leaders say, well, this has to stop. And they threaten them and Temple leaders, again, the temple controlled by the Sadducees who don't believe in miracles, um, which is kind of difficult when the lame man's standing right there. Um, But stop. No more preaching in the name of Jesus. Don't use that name anymore. No more talking about resurrection. Of course, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death or resurrection. And the idea that Jesus, who they were part of the Sanhedrin, who conspired to kill Jesus... uh, we killed him, but he's still alive because of a resurrection, and you know, don't, don't mention that name anymore. Peter and John respond, should we listen to you, or should we listen to God? And then they prayed, God, do you hear their threats? We want you to hear their threats. Give us boldness. Keep the miracles coming. And they did, and again, 5,000 responded. Barnabas comes into our uh, story in regards to the last part of chapter 4 of Acts. Barnabas received uh, some notoriety because he sold his house, he sold his lands, and gave all the money to the apostles. And basically, I believe it was Barnabas' way of saying, I'm I'm sold out to this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm not going home. I'm staying here in Jerusalem. I'm going, and he eventually ends up going to Antioch where the Christians met and a huge church was there and he eventually got Paul and the two of them became missionaries. Uh, I'm, I'm selling out to this. And Ananias and Sapphira, because of jealousy, pretend to do the same thing. Peter says, Satan has filled your heart. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. You're putting God to the test. You think he won't do something about this. And Ananias falls down dead, and three hours later, Sapphira does as well. The miracles continue, many signs and many wonders. The temple courtyard is filled with uh, people, and and multitudes came from other cities uh, to bring their sick, and just to get into the shadow of, of Peter and John, and just to be anywhere near them, and multitudes of men, women, and children are added to the church. The apostles are then put in a common prison. And while in this common prison, an angel of the Lord comes and he opens the doors of the prison and brought them out. 
Never disturbed the guards at all. That's very thoughtful. Um, and um, the next day, the Sanhedrin says, bring the prisoners. And they went and they found the prison secure. They found the guards in place. They found the door shut. But the people that were not in it, they were, it was empty. Where are they? Well, they're in the temple doing exactly what they had been doing before, teaching in the name of Jesus, talking about the resurrection. They send officers to arrest them in the temple area with crowds and multitudes of people. And basically it says they came and they took them and asked them to come without violence, without force, lest they fear the multitudes turn on them. Uh, Please come with us. (laughs) Officers fearing that the crowds would turn on them. And then they bring in, did we not command you? Did we not tell you? Did we not tell you not to mention this name of Jesus anymore? Did we not tell you that? You're filling Jerusalem with your teaching. You're blaming us for this man's death. And Peter goes, check box number one, <laughs> check box number two. That, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. And Peter says, the God of Abraham raised Jesus. You did crucify and kill him. He's our Savior and King in waiting at the right hand of the Father. And it's not too late to change your mind about Jesus and receive forgiveness of sin. Look at verse number 26. Chapter 5, verse number 26. Then went the captain and the officers, and they brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest said, Did we not straightway command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. You, You intend to bring this man's blood on us. Peter and the other apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. You mean to put this man's blood? Yes, you slew him. You hung him on a tree. Didn't say the Romans did it. He's talking to the Jewish Sanhedrin. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness. He's given you the opportunity to change your mind and receive forgiveness of sins. That's what's going on. That's what's happening in Jerusalem. The lame man has a second chance. All these people have a second chance. Second chance at healing. Second chance at believing in the name of Jesus. Everyone has that opportunity. Sanhedrin, you have that opportunity. You have a second chance. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can change your mind about who Jesus is. Notice the response. We are his witnesses, verse 32. We've seen this. We've been with him all, all, all the three years, the whole time. We are witnesses of these, and so also is the Holy Ghost. What's happening now is the Holy Spirit, and it, it, he's a witness of all these things whom God hath given to them that obey him. And, 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 and all that you're seeing, all that is happening is proof. It is proof. It is proof. Jesus is alive and well. All this is true. He was God's son. He is the Messiah. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart. took counsel to slay them. That's not how this is supposed to work. They're supposed to be cut to the heart and repent and 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 fall on their faces and say, oh, we are guilty. We, you know, please forgive us. The phrase cut to the heart, interestingly enough, that word or that phrase is exactly the same as in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about, and some were sawn asunder. S-A-W-N, sawn asunder. Some were cut in half. And it's the same word. It literally means they were cut to the heart. It means they were cut with a saw. 
that hurts, by the way. Okay? It hurts. This is not conviction. When it says they were cut to the heart, this is not conviction. This is like it hurts. It was painful to hear this. Uh, pain that leads to hatred and indignation. I don't like what you said. What you're saying is making me very, very angry. And this is literally is one of those examples where you've heard the expression, the truth hurts. And that's what's happening here. They're hearing, they're, you crucified him. You, it was your wicked hands. He is alive. Look at what's going on around you. How can you deny this? How can you not say that the Holy Spirit is here who Jesus promised he would send? This is the second chance. Change your mind. You can have forgiveness of sins. And it's like they hated it. They hated what they were being told. And it's like the truth. And, and, and it's one of those things where it's the same word, by the way, in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen talks to the crowd. And it says they were cut to the heart. They stopped their ears and threw stones and, and stoned Stephen to death. It's the same word. It's the same. Earlier in our passage in chapter 2, it says they were pricked in the heart. That's different. And that was the conviction where they said they were pricked in their hearts and said, uh, what do we need to do? How, do we need, how can we fix this? It's different. Different word, different concept. Here it's like somebody's talking to you, they're telling the truth, and you're hearing the truth, and you're guilty, and you know it, and you know all these things are true, and you just say, shut up, shut up, shut up. You know, it's like, just stop it. I don't want to hear any more of this. And so what you do is you pick up stones and you shut Stephen up. What you do with these guys is like, we, we've, we've got to slay them. We have to kill them. You know, we told them not to speak in this man's name. And, 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 and we've accused them of spreading their doctrine through all of Jerusalem. And, and they want to put Jesus, this man's blood on our heads. And they're like, yeah, that's what we're doing. You are guilty. Shut up. Don't say this name anymore. You are guilty. Right, you know what? These people aren't going to shut up. So we have to kill them. Because we're going to tell them to stop doing it. And we put them in prison. They're out of prison. And what are they doing? They're doing the exact same thing. Did we not tell you? Did we not tell you? And so they said, it says, verse 33, they were cut to the heart. And they took counsel. It's like, okay, all right, all in favor of killing these people. You know, say I... Uh, first vote, first deliberation is, is we can't buy them. We, we can't threaten them. And, and this is, they're agitated by rage. The, this pain of being cut by the saw leads to hatred and indignation. Didn't want to be reminded. Stop it, stop it, stop it. We have to kill him. We have to kill him. First vote. And then we're introduced in verse 34 to Gamaliel. The name should sound familiar to you because later we'll be introduced to Gamaliel again as the teacher of Saul, who in Saul, of course, becomes Paul. Now, what's interesting, again, is Saul, Gamaliel evidently had Saul from a young man. Uh, he's going to talk about, Paul will talk about the fact that he's been my instructor. I went to Jerusalem. Evidently, he was from a well, pretty well-to-do family to be able to have his own private tutor, his own private instructor, and Gamaliel is his, and so it's not, by the way, it's not just a, um, he didn't just get into a uh, regular school of education. He got into a school of 
higher learning. And so he probably paid the price to do so. And so Paul, from a young man, is being taught by Gamaliel. And, and it is interesting that uh, when we're introduced to Saul, he has an extreme hatred for Christians. Those who would draw people, especially Jews who would be, they would abandon their Jewish faith to follow after this false Messiah called Jesus. I'm going to suggest to you that there's some things that his mentor taught him that he didn't learn. The word Gamaliel, interestingly enough, the name Gamaliel means God is my reward. It says in verse number 34, there stood up one in the council. We're going to kill these people. He said, wait, wait. And he goes, wait, wait. By the way, any person who can take a crowd or a mob mentality and speak in such a way to get the mob to listen to them, this man carries some clout. <laughs> I, I've, I've always been impressed with David's command of his people, of his forces. When they had the opportunity to kill Saul, and some of his men are even volunteering, I, I'll do it. <laughs> and David says, no, we're not going to touch him. And I'm like, seriously? David had such control of his men when he says, we're not doing this, we're not doing this. And, and, and later, the Apostle Paul, there's going to be crazy mob. They're, they're going to kill him. And he stands on the steps with the Roman guards all around him, and he asks for silence. He says, wait, wait, I'd like to say one thing to you. And they quiet down and listen to him. This is, this is impressive. And, and again, Gamaliel says, no, wait, wait, stop. He's a, they introduce him as a, he's a Pharisee. Now, this is Luke, Luke the historian, telling us about this person. He's a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Now, again, the Pharisees and Sadducees don't really get along that well. And the Sadducees are like, kill him, kill him, kill him. He goes, wait, 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 wait. Because the Sadducees and Pharisees and the tribal leaders and the elders and uh, made up this Sanhedrin, this body of 70 to 72 people. Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He knew his stuff. Had a reputation among all the people. And the reputation here means he was held in great esteem among all the people. Now, that's quite a statement. You know, because there's, there's at least at one point where the Pharisees are, uh, even though they're looked at as, you know, the, the spiritual leaders of the people, sometimes they're kind of looked at with disdain. Uh, he is well respected, had a repu reputation among the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. He says, um, let's talk about this a little bit. And he literally dismissed them away. Move the apostles away while we talk, while we deliberate. Now, what's interesting to me, again, the purpose for moving them away, obviously, is I, I don't want you to hear what we have to say. I, I don't want you to hear that we're not in agreement on some things. But at the same time, how do, you, how does it, how do we know what was said? <laughs> how do we know what happened? Now, this will cause your mind to wonder a little bit, at least it did mine. Um, Luke is a historian. I think it's possible that somewhere in future time, he would sit down with Gamaliel, and they would rehearse this event, and Gamaliel said, well, this is what I told them, this is what I said to them. 
But he puts them forth a little way, and he says, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. He said, you know, guys, um, maybe you should think before you act. Gamaliel was different than the other Pharisees. He was Saul's teacher. This passage in Acts chapter 22, this is Paul talking. I am verily, I, I'm a man which, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. Yet I was brought up in this city, meaning Jerusalem. And that idea of brought up in this city indicates that you know, he was in this school of Gamaliel from small child, or a young child anyways. Uh, I was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law. He uses this, he's, he's trying to talk, tell them about how good of a Hebrew, how good of a Jew, how good of a person he was. Uh, you know, it's like, I, I tried to do everything by the book, by the law, by the rules. I'm, I, I, he calls himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm Jew through and through. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and everybody knows him. He's well respected. I, I was taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. And I was zealous toward God. As you are this day. He says, I, I, had, I had a desire to please God. I had a desire to know about God. And he says, I sat at the feet of this man wanting to learn, wanting to learn from him. The perfect manner of the law. Interestingly enough, there were two schools of thought among the Pharisees. The Pharisees, by the way, are a group. There's no Pharisees in the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> they're not there. It's a group that comes into being in the 400, what are called the 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew, or the coming of Christ. And, and this group comes up, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, all these groups kind of pop up uh, during the Roman takeover. And these different groups pop up. And there was two schools of thought among the Pharisees. One was the school of Hillel, and the other was uh, Shimei. Hillel was uh, the lenient side of the Pharisees. Now, they believed in strict adherence to the law, but... As far as interpreting the law is concerned, they would interpret the law with common sense and compassion. In regards to things like the Sabbath day, uh, when Jesus would say something like, uh, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day, but you'll loose the straps so that the weight will fall off the horses, that's, that's the school of Hillel that would say, you know, let's use some common sense about this, okay? Uh, we're not supposed to work, but if there's an emergency or something, you can't, you can't be. And, and when Jesus would say things like, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? Uh, he was going right along with this line of the Pharisees, even, even splitting them up. The school of Shimei was the strict school. Uh, they would interpret the laws as absolute, and they're the ones who added all these things for emphasis. You can't kill a bug on the Sabbath day. You, a woman can't look in a mirror on the Sabbath day because obviously she's going to be doing some work. Uh, and <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm reading and paraphrasing from Josephus. <laughs> sure you are. Yeah, okay. It's like, okay. Truth? Not so much. Okay. All right. Anyways, uh, Gamaliel was the grandson of the, go back one, of the Hillel, Hillel guy, Okay. So Gamaliel was his grandson. So his thought process in regards to these things was to use some common sense. Uh, his family was well respected. Uh, again, according to Josephus, a historian, uh, it says when Gamaliel died, he died in 54 A.D. And that kind of gives you a, a picture here because uh, Jesus, uh, 
Jesus ascended or rose from the dead around 30, 30 to 33 A.D. This man dies about 54 A.D. Uh, and Josephus says that when Gamaliel died, there was no more reverence for the Torah and purity and abstinence died at the same time. This man was so well respected. Uh, he said Sabbath laws should be realistically interpreted rather than rigorously. Uh, the laws should be used to protect women even during a divorce situation. And they even promoted the idea of being kind to Gentiles, which is like, you know. Um, Gamaliel was a rabbi, of course, that means teacher. And um, uh, it is, there is some report, let's see, what's my next slide here? Yeah. Did he eventually become a believer? Because here what he does, he basically stands up for Peter and John and says, hey, before you think about killing these guys, stop, take a breath. Think before you act. And, and it's the idea of, it's like act, don't react. If you're just reacting, you're, you've been cut to the heart, you're mad, you're angry about what they said, well, we need to shut them up, we need to kill these people. Just stop, think before you do anything. Step back, <laughs> let's do some thinking. And did Gamaliel ever become a believer? According to church tradition, and some of the early church fathers, they reference Gamaliel as being baptized by Peter and John, along with his son and Nicodemus. They were all baptized at the same time. That's a nice story. I like that. Okay? However, in contrast to it, Jewish tradition continued to hold Gamaliel high in esteem and inducted him as one of the original members of, if you please, the Rabbi Hall of Fame. Okay? Uh, there literally was such a thing. Uh, and he was one of the first seven inductees into the Rabbi Hall of Fame. And the, and the thought process is, if he had converted to Christianity, that, that, you know, that's like gambling on sports, we just kicked you out of the Hall of Fame, you're not going to make it. And so, uh, the fact that he was still well respected causes some people to go like, mm, he did not, or did he? And Gamaliel and Nicodemus are two very, very interesting characters throughout Scripture. And this is one where I would love to have the Paul Harvey version. You know, I'd like to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> I would love to have that. But um, still held in high esteem. And then you ask yourself the question, too, when Saul became Paul, when he became a believer and saw the light... Would he not at some point go back and find Gamaliel and talk to him if it was necessary at that particular would, would, would he not? I, and, of course, we have no records, but like I said, I would love to know the rest of the story. He put the disciples off a little space. Verse number 35, he says, you men of Israel, think about things. Be, be careful what you do next. By the way, that's, that's an interesting phrase, this, this idea of take heed to yourself what you intend to do. It is exactly or very, very similar to what Jesus said to Cain. I mean, when God, what God said to Cain. When, God, when Cain came to offer his sacrifice, and it was all the vegetables and all the fruit of his labors, and, and God said, this is not what I want. I, I, I asked for a, a blood sacrifice. I asked for a lamb, and, and, and Cain is, is put out, and he's angry, and he's upset. And literally, as he's departing from God, God says, be careful what you do next. 
You know, it's like, be careful what your next step is. And then he goes, says that Cain went out and slew his brother. That was his next step. And God actually warned him prior to doing it. Be careful. Be careful what you do next. And then he says, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. And then he lists two examples of other uh, insurrections, other rebellions uh, that took place and kind of, they popped up and then they kind of died out on their own. And so Gamaliel is saying, you know, it, it, he's leading up to the idea that, you know, if this is all, you know, made up by men, it'll come to naught. Notice he uses, first of all, the first example he uses is Thutis, verse number 36. Before these days rode up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody, and this would indicate he claimed to be, I made claims to be the Messiah. Jesus said, and even in Jesus' day, he said there will be many false Christs, there will be many false Messiah, there will be many people pretending. And that, of course, is one of the things the Antichrist does to deceive and fool the Jewish people into thinking that he is their Messiah. Boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. But eventually this man was slain. And all of his many that obeyed him and followed him, they got, they got scattered and pfft, nothing really ever came of it. Well, a little bit more study, a little bit more. This is, some of this is what I would call pseudo-history because um, this is what is reported to have happened. And maybe it did, maybe it did not. But the story with Thutis is that he was, he claimed to be a prophet, and he claimed that he was going to take lead, this is like, uh, no offense, Mr. Jones, but uh, this is like the Jim Jones thing, you know, of, of many years ago. Uh, he claimed to be a prophet, come follow me, I'm going to part the Jordan River. Like in the days of Elijah and Elisha, we're going to part the Jordan River, and we're going to go over on dry ground. Hey, come with me, let's see this event. And uh, he was actually known to be somewhat of a magician of sorts. And, uh, you know, David Copperfield is going to part the Jordan River. And um, he claimed to be a prophet, a false messiah. Uh, and, but in the process of all of this, he ended up killing a Roman soldier, which put him on the, his picture in the post office in Rome. And, um, and finally, he was tracked down by the Romans. Uh, they captured him, questioned him, and then beheaded him before he had a chance to part the Jordan River. And so, and all of this, all of this hoop to do uh, came to nothing. And Gamaliel says that um, all these people were scattered and it was brought to naught. Nothing ever happened. It was just, you know, it was just noise. And then if, if Thutis is enough, that was Judas, Judas of Galilee, in the days of taxing, he drew away much people after him. He had a lot of followers too. Well, he died. And all, even as, as many as obeyed him, and then his followers were dispersed. This Judas of Galilee, was. this goes actually to about 6 uh, A.D. Jesus would have been very, very small. Uh, but they wanted, uh, a tax was ordered by the Romans, and this Judas guy said, let's not do it. Let's not pay any tax. Let's rebel. Let's not register for the tax. Let's not, you're, if, if you're familiar with the fact that Joseph and Mary got on their horses, and, and, or whatever they, from... Uh, from Nazareth to go to Bethlehem to register for the census and taxation. Uh, and this is another one of those. And he says, don't do it. Let's not do it. We're not going to comply. We're not going to participate. And so he encouraged, incited people to stop. Don't do it. No one does it. Matter of fact, it got to the point where if a Jewish family did 
consent and they registered for, uh, he literally would burn their house and stole their cattle. To send a message to anyone else amongst the Jewish people. I, we need to stand unified. And, and it's like, that seems like what a Messiah would do, right? <laughs> this is like crazy. And, and, he, and, and so we're going to be unified in this rebellion against the tax stuff. And so, um, uh, like I said, and he is later credited with being one of the co-founders of the Zealots. Zealots is another group that didn't start till uh, New Testament time. And the Zealots were those who, like, we're, we're not doing anything the Romans ask us to do. If the Romans ask us to do it, we're not doing it. We're not paying taxes. We're not doing anything. Now, of course, the Zealots ended up living outside of the city, <laughs> more like renegades, more like outlaws, more like robbers and thieves. Uh, but they're like, we are not complying under any circumstances to anything. Uh, the two different groups, Herodians, was a group of Jewish people who said, let's just comply and, and play ball with the Romans and it'll go easier on us. The Zealots are like, not one single thing are we going to do that the Romans want us to do. And the Zealots would be people that would they'd get a Roman uh, troop or garrison and they would uh, do raids on them and, and kill some soldiers and then head off into the woods and you know they just they just opposed and it is uh, Josephus later will say that the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD by Titus and the Romans was the fault of the zealots and so he in, in his in his book of history he hates zealots because uh, it was their rebellion that caused the Romans to come down and, and level the city of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And one of the founders of Zealots is this Judas of Galilee thing. But again, it said he's slain, and as many as obeyed him were scattered, and this was brought to naught. The same as Thutis, and it says, after he perished, even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And so Gamaliel's conclusion is, now, verse 38, now I say this unto you, Refrain from these men. Basically, leave these men alone. Let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it'll come to naught. If somehow this is a threat against the God of the Jews, God will take care of it. But if it be of God, and he entertains that idea, if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found to fight against God. Interesting. Counsel or advice. Let them alone. Leave them alone. If it's, if it's of men, it'll be like these other two guys. The guy dies and the followers disperse and nothing, it's done. Now let's look think about the comparison to the stories though. <laughs> Jesus dies. The followers are dispersed and scattered. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. And it's almost like the, worst, the, the second is worse than the first. The fact that we've got this guy who is now resurrected, he's alive and well and living in heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit, and it's like, what's the difference in these three stories? This has not come to naught. And he says, if it's of God, you cannot stand against it. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. And so, if it's the work of men, it will come to naught. And he literally says, you find yourself fighting against God. You, fi you find yourself in a tug of war against God. 
Well, how persuasive is he? Well, they voted a second time, verse 40. And to him, they agreed. Well, what he had asked them to do was refrain from these men, let them alone. And they agreed, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them. They commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. It's like they can't help themselves. All right, you're right, you're right. But since we got them anyways, we might as well beat them. (laughs) I don't know. Again, it was Pilate's plan. This was Pilate's plan. How how am I going to get Jesus released? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll beat him. And, and we'll bring him to, and, and he goes, behold the man, look, there's the guy that's supposed to be the awesome king of the Jews, and look how beat up he is, and we've, we've tortured him, and we've beat him nearly to death. Here, that should be enough for you guys knowing that I crucify him, crucify him. And so they beat him, and they let them go. Now, is Gamaliel's philosophy right? Let's just wait and see. If it's of men, it'll die. If it's of God, it'll, you know, you can't stop it. So let's wait and see. May I suggest to you that wait and see is not the right philosophy to have? (laughs) Because the point is, at this particular point, what are you waiting to see? What are you waiting to happen? (laughs) The lame man has been lame 40, all his life, he's over 40 years old, he's walking. People are being healed all over the place. We lock these people up in prison and they're not there. Um, what, are you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting to see? Now, was it just Gamaliel trying to you know, get these people to have some reason about themselves? And then the question is, did Gamaliel's philosophy of leniency and, and thinking about things before, hey, if it's of God, leave it alone. Did that translate all the way down to Paul or to Saul? Uh, chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at the time, there was great persecution against the church was, was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria. Everyone was scattered except the apostles. Saul yet breathed out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest and desired of them letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if any be found of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Did he let them alone? Did he wait to see? No. This part he didn't listen to. He didn't. But again, how long? How long? Well, notice the response of the disciples and the apostles. They departed from the presence of the council, Where do you think they went? (laughs) They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What a statement. What a statement. I've come across a lot of people that do kind of a woe is me and, oh, you know, well, we're... We're being persecuted because we're standing for the Lord and, you know, other people don't like it when we stand for what's right. Well, it's possible, but you also could be, maybe you're just not a very nice person. Uh, That's why people don't like you. Um, They really were persecuted for what they believed. And and, And in their minds, again, how much in their minds was the thought that Jesus was crucified for them? How much was in their mind that picture of Jesus on the cross and that beaten, bruised body of Jesus? 
And then they said, we've got a few stripes on our back compared to what he went through for us. Compared to what he did for us. And that agony on the tree, the three hours of darkness where God, the Father, poured all his wrath upon his son for the sins of mankind. The son goes, man, this is little. The suffering of this world are little compared to the glory that's to come. And they said they count themselves worthy. Um, maybe they were reminded of early in Jesus' ministry. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before them. So you know what? We're thankful to be counted in that group. That's a wow. That's a wow. They were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And so where are these people? Well, they're daily in the temple. They were back to where they were before. And everywhere they went, in every house, every place somebody invites them to supper, say, spend the night with us, everywhere they went, daily in the temple, and in every house they went into, they ceased not to teach and preach. Jesus. The name you're not supposed to say. Nonstop. They continued. Considered it an honor, worthy to suffer. Considered it an honor to take a beating and take abuse <laughs> for Jesus' sake. I can't remember again how many times in order to avoid abuse or somebody saying something or to avoid being made fun of. Oh, I kept my mouth shut. And these men are like, they were thankful for the abuse that they received. They were thankful to be considered among those that are worthy and honored because we were able to speak in the name of Jesus. <laughs> they embraced it. Every house, daily in the temple. I'm going to close with D.L. Moody said one of his goals for his life was to witness for Christ and speak about spiritual matters to at least one soul every day. One a day. Just like the vitamin. <laughs> one a day. Do you realize if we did one a day, what an impact that would make? If each of us just did one a day. These guys were proud of the fact that they took abuse. And may I suggest that none of us have been beaten physically for our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. They were proud of it and kept on going. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for, again, this passage of Scripture that reminds us that the apostles, were, they were determined they were going to do what was right. They were going to do what God asked them to do, no matter, there wasn't going to be anything that stopped them or hindered them. They were just, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we need to do. Jesus told us to tell other people, and this is what we're going to do. 
And despite the efforts of men, they continue daily to do so and cease not. Father, give us boldness, give us courage, give us what we need to say a word. And may we make a conscious attempt to target one person every day. To share spiritual truth with them or share the name of Jesus with them. Just one every single day. Thank you for the examples that have been set forth. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.